Hello and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything Farmmaker. Hello, I'm Michael Rashad. This is part two of a podcast John Mark and I call The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, which you might have gathered by the theme music. We're discussing the different script steps, which ones are good, which ones are bad, and which ones are ugly, or, as John says, evil. We hope you'll enjoy this continuation of a very interesting podcast. But revert record request, uh, I don't use it very often. Um, We talked about using it in transactional processing, which is very cool. But uh, I think the place I use it most often is when somebody wants to verify record changes. You can do that by just checking an option in FileMaker layout mode that says, you know, do not automatically save. And so it'll come up and say, you know, file, it'll give you a FileMaker message saying, are you sure when you're committing this record, do are you sure you want to, you know, save these changes and you can revert them. But I like to, I don't like the message that they give you and I don't like the options they give you. So I like to do my own. There's a perfect script trigger that goes along with it. And you simply say on commit script trigger, that might not be the exact name, but uh, you know, show my messages and show my options. And one of them, of course, would be, hey, I don't want to make these changes. So you'll, you'll do a revert record. Right. I've never used it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I I try to, to me, that option of asking somebody if they want to make a changes takes away from the whole FileMaker experience. If you're worried about issues, track what they're doing, make backups. You know, if, if there's, it just slows people down to have to say, yes, I want to make these. Yes, I want to. Yes, I want to make the you know, every single time they make a change. And, you know, if they've been there more than a week working on the database, you know, in your company, they're going to know that what they change is going to make a difference and, you know, train them well. I mean, I, to me, it's just don't slow them down. It's like kind of like putting a governor in a, in a car engine. I just don't see it. People want to go faster. Let them go faster. Um, don't stop them. So. New record request and duplicate record request. Credibly useful. Is there much to them? No, just remember they're mode sensitive. So if you're in fine mode, it's going to do a request. If you're in browse mode, it's going to do a record. Right. The only thing to remember is that if you are going to duplicate a record, you need to double check that the primary key is always replaced when you create that record. Yeah. And there's a lot of other auto enter gotchas. You got to watch out about duplicating records where it might auto enter. It might not. I won't go into the whole details, but you know, make sure that you, you, sometimes I've had to put some set variables before I duplicate the record. And then after do some set fields to get the values from the previous record to the new record. So we talked about exporting records and in, well, we didn't talk about importing records, but there's not much to it. FileMaker can well, the, import. Go ahead. The only thing to remember about importing records is that when you import a record, set of records, it's retained as a found set. So you can immediately, if you realize you made a mistake or you're just testing an import order, you can import them, delete that found set, and then just carry on but it is a found set when you do the import. Yeah, it's incredibly useful, right? I often do replaces on the after I've done the import to massage the data that I want it to the way I want it to be. Exactly. Um, yeah, there's another interesting uh, little 
tidbit about import. Uh, and it has to do with updating systems. It's not as relevant anymore, but I like to point these things out because you never know when it might become useful. So when you're importing from one FileMaker file to another, two separate FileMaker, not one, you know, two tables in the same file, two separate files, there's a difference between whether you're importing when the file's open versus whether the, the, the source file is closed. So if the source file is open, it will import the found set that's specified there. If the source file is closed when you actually run the import, it's going to import all the records regardless of the found set from that table you're specifying. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'd never been able to figure out why it did that. Now you've now you've solved that problem for me. I appreciate it. Well, the idea is that you're you're trying to update. You know, you've got two versions of your solution, and you're trying to update through scripting. And and so, if the file's closed, you get everything. You don't have to worry about what the found set is. So, anyhow, ha have I used it? Not very often, but I'm waiting for that moment where I'm going to go. Aha! I've saved this information in my head for two decades. It's finally going to be useful. Let's talk about delete record. We mentioned that it is sus uh, susceptible to record locking, so you can't delete it unless you've got control of that record. So I'll always, if I make a delete record script, it says open record request. If there's no error, then you can delete it. Otherwise, show a message. So we covered that, but there's some other things to know about it that I thought were kind of interesting little details. And so you can actually delete a portal row with delete record. So if you've got that portal row selected and you choose delete record, it will ask you if you want to delete that related record. It's kind of interesting how that works. Now, it's changed since FileMaker 14. In FileMaker 14, there used to be three different error messages. If you had no portal selected and you chose delete record, it would delete the current parent record. If a portal row was highlighted but no field selected, just highlighted, it would come up with the message saying, Do you, are you sure you want to delete this portal row? Um, or it might said related record, I forget. But if a field in the portal selected, and this last option only happens in FileMaker 13 or earlier, but I just think it's one of those cool trivia things. If the field in the portal selected and you choose delete record, it'll ask if you want to delete the row or the parent record. Kind of cool stuff. I thought it was interesting to mention because it's been sitting around in my head and for a long time, and I, I finally found some way to use it by talking about it in this podcast. So That's two things in two minutes that you told me that I didn't know. Amazing. <laughs> two, two worthless things, right? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say worthless. They're always useful to know at the back of your mind whether you use it or not is another matter. Yeah. Anyhow, okay, we're down to the next section, the found set section. And we'll start with the constraint, extend, and perform find. Perform find I love. Constrain, I love. Extend, I don't use too often. I've used it quite a bit. In what kind of situation have you Well, used it? when I'm using, I have a, where I'm allowing the user to search across a whole series of fields, I've got a search panel at the top with each of the primary fields that they can search on. And most of those fields have got value lists or they're a date range. But you can start a search from any one of these sections by pressing the new button. You can extend the search by pressing the 
plus button, which takes the previous found set and extends it, or you can constrain it, which reduces it. And in that particular case where they want to choose, oh, let's say, let's say we're talking about a rock band, you want to find Supertramp, and now you want to find The Who. You can use the use the selector, which has a list of all the groups, and you select the first group and you press plus, and then you select the second group and you press extend. So there's where it's doing a multi-find without doing the multi-find, if you like. Yeah, it's it's interesting how people, you know, one developer never uses it like myself, and you quite like it. It's it's so interesting, the differences, and that's why we want to have two people on this podcast so we can get differing points of view. Um, I use constrain quite a bit. Uh, I'll do a go-to-related record and then want to constrain what's in the relationship rather than making a whole relationship and then doing a go-to-related record without the constraint. I don't want to have to create that relationship for one purpose only, so I can do that go-to-related record and then filter down what I'm seeing uh, by using a constraint after I've done the go to relay record, but that's about the only time I, I really use it. Of course, perform find all the time, right? You know, you've got to, right. if you go enter find mode, you're going to do a perform find. What I don't use very often is per, you know, the, the, the storing of the values for the find criteria in the perform find. I know a lot of people like to make a one line script of step that says perform find. I personally avoid that because then it becomes very unreadable. I prefer enter find mode, set field, set field, set field, whatever you do, then perform find. Um, but, you know, do things you want. But if you if you have to look at what the perform find does and try to read it, and you've got those value stored, you have to click on it, and then you have to open it, and you have to open another dialogue, and it's just not as, as readable to me. And that's, in my class, the way usually people, uh, I teach them to avoid perform find in that, using it in that manner for restoring find requests. Yeah, 100% agree with you. The the method you're talking about where you're entering find mode, setting a field with the value you want to, and then at the end of it, form the find, is what I use 95% of the time, maybe even higher. Now, our next script step is find matching records, which I've used occasionally for things like duplicates. But other than that, not very useful for me. I'd never use it in a script. I'll use it in a table view when I want, or a list view when I want to look for a specific, specific field or specific value within a field. And there I'll use it. But that, if you're going to use it in that way, the field has to be accessible in find mode. In other words, if it's only set to browse, it doesn't work. So modify last find is our next script step. And it's simply restores the previous find request, whether it was done manually or scripted. So it's a really, in my opinion, the way I use it mostly is for troubleshooting. Although I do use it in my ultimate find script, that one I mentioned on the philosophy of filemaker.com. That's about the only ways I use it. It's mostly for, for troubleshooting. Why didn't that script work? Oh, I modified last. Oh, look at this find criteria. I messed it all up. Right. I find it's really useful if I'm building a complex set of requests, in other words, you know, 10 or more requests, and by mistake, I hit the enter key too early. 
And instead of having to go back to the beginning and start all over again, I just modify it, restore, modify last find, and then I just carry on. So that's where I find it incredibly useful. Yeah, you've got an itchy trigger finger, don't you? I do. But I've always <laughs> been fast on the draw, John. Right. Oh, well, <laughs> I'll leave that where it's at. Let's move on to omit, omit multiple records, show omit only. And I'm going to throw in a show all records here as well because it goes so well with this great series of steps where you can isolate a record. You simply say, show all records, omit record, show omitted only, and all of a sudden, the only record in the found set is the one you were on right at that moment. That's because show all records stays on the same record when you show all records. Then you omit the record that you're on outside the found set. Then you reverse the found set with the show mid only, and you've got that record isolated. Very cool technique. Everybody should know those three script steps in the order to do them in. Right, and you can extend the technique one more, is when you've got that one record and one record selected, you can then omit that record to leave you a completely empty screen for a new record to be created. Yep, yep, very cool. Now, one thing you need to understand, and this is a very rare scenario, but I came across it when I was talking to somebody from Salian Consulting uh, years ago. If you use this technique for omit, or show all records, omit, and show omitted only, you use that, you've got to be wary about where new records are entered in a multi-user scenario. So let's say you've got 100 users on the system are 200, you know, you're maxed out this server and people are entering data all the time. Well, those records are entered into the omitted set because they have to add to your records. They're getting added records, so you're going to see them on your screen, but they're going to be outside of your found set so it doesn't ruin your found set. But if you think about it now, at that point, when you start messing and reversing the found sets, you may get not just isolated the one record, you may get two records and there are three records because just at that moment, because you have a very, very busy system where a lot of records are going to be entered, you may try to use this technique for isolating a record and not get what you want because somebody added one to your omitted set right at the exact time you ran that script. And no, it's not going to happen very often, but if you have a lot of traffic, that's a possibility and just keep it in the back of your mind because I think the Salient guys had to do a lot more thinking about what was going on to figure this out. I just was the beneficiary of, of his, uh, you know, expertise and knowledge. And he said, Hey, did you know about this? I'm like, Oh, I didn't know that. That's crazy. And it all makes sense. And it helps you to understand how FileMaker works, just understanding that new records in a multi-user scenario get added to the omitted set, you know, the not the found set you're looking at on each user, is really very important information knowing how FileMaker works. Right. That's a very good point. So here's a quick tip for our listeners. You've got a list of records and you want to omit a certain amount of records. You're looking at your list and you want to omit X number of records starting from this record. So let's say you've got 500 records and you're on record 120 and you want to omit the rest. Well, you can do the math in your head and you can say omit all those records. But what I do is I click on the record I want to start the omitting and I go to omit multiple and I type a number that I know is much greater than the possible number I want to omit. 
because I don't want to do the math in my head. Farmaker then does the math for me and says, you can only omit 172 records. You say, okay, omit, and you're done. Very quick. Yep, I use that trick all the time. It's a great trick. Let FileMaker do the calculation for you, right? Yeah, let FileMaker do the work. It's what it's there for. Now, if going back to the, the issue I was talking about, about records being added in the omitted set, if you want, if you think you have that scenario, I have a file on my databasepros.com website in the resources section that covers how to get around that in multiple ways. Uh, the Salang, uh, I think it was Greg Lane. I, I, not Steve. Greg somebody. I, Greg, um, I think my, it's my, Greg Lane. It, okay, because there's also Steve Lane too. So who knows? <laughs> One of those guys, but it, it, they gave me the file and we put it up there. And it's, it's really cool and we'll let you uh, understand uh, the intricacies of trying to detect those records added in the minute set. So you really get that record isolated that you want. Yeah. These example files that are just designed to do one specific little thing are incredibly useful because you can learn so much from looking at those and saying, yeah, I can use that in my solution. So let's move on to sort records. Now sort records is really great. But I think people abuse it a little too much. And so I'm going to put my foot down here and say that sort records is only for reports. You shouldn't be doing a sort in list view. If you're doing a sort in list view, that means you're an Excel person, a spreadsheet person. And you're always trying to scroll up and down the whole list. At that point, you have to go, well, let's teach the person how to use find. Let's do a find and isolate the found set so you have a smaller set so you don't have to scroll through it and you don't have to worry about it being sorted. Sorting is really for making sub-sum reports, and, and that's all the only place you really use it. Otherwise, you, you know, you get into a, a, a remote system, and that sort can be super, super slow for people when they really don't really need to have their list view sorted. They, it's not going to help them out at all. You just have to teach them how to do a find. Yep, it's a good point. And then we move on to this perplexing script step that I'm hoping somebody puts a comment on this podcast. I still, years and years later after they've added this feature, sort records by field, I still don't understand what the benefit is. I, I can't Me explain neither. to you. I've thought about it on and off for like 10 years or however long it's been there. I don't get it. Nope. I don't get it either. So let's ignore it. Yeah. Okay. Somebody will tell us what it's useful for, but I haven't figured what I thought it would be useful for is not what it actually does. And so unfortunately it's not something I've ever used and don't even understand. Even reading the help, I don't understand what it does. It doesn't do anything in my opinion, but okay. Perform or I'm don't want to forget unsort records. Eh, you know, it, it does what it does. That's it. We'll move on. Let's talk about perform quick find. Yeah, I don't find that at all useful. Yeah, I, I agree. And let's talk about why it's not useful. I, I'm Okay, let's say it is useful, but I don't like the way it works. It basically mimics the quick find feature in the toolbar, right? Sounds like a great idea, but it's based on what fields on your layout are turned on to be searched or not. And I don't like marrying a script to a, to a layout because then you have to remember every time you put a field on that layout, do I want it searched or not? And if you don't remember that, then it could be slow because there's yellow dots and green dots in layout mode for how fast perform quick final go. And I don't, I don't want to go to every single layout and set each one. I'd rather, I, I know exactly what that person wants to do. I'll just do an enter find mode or I'll put a global field up there, have them type in what they want. 
when they go ahead and process the find, it's going to go enter find mode, set field, set field, set field, to all the fields I want to search, done deal. It's not married to anything. I can change layout any way I want. And I'm happy. Not to mention that perform uh, quick find doesn't obey all the same or it doesn't have all the same error messages as your standard enter find mode. It's just not like a regular find. It's, it's, it's different and it drives me crazy and then I just never use it. Well, that's that last point is a good reason why you shouldn't be using it. I thought both the points were a good reason not to use it. Well, <laughs> they're both good reasons, but I like okay, the last there you one go. there. Let's, <laughs> we'll, we'll stick with that. Okay. So the windows section, we're getting down the list here. Adjust window, use it all the time. Because it, if you don't know, the, the adjust window with the resize to fit option, now I don't use any of the other options, okay? Just the resize to fit. It frames your layout. And that's so important for a good looking interface. It frames it to that line that separates your layout from the non-layout space, whatever that thing is called. I don't even think they have a name for it and the last part downwards. And so it'll frame it to that size, the actual size of your, your layout. And I use it on open. I frame it right there. And that way people are set to the right size throughout the whole solution. Yeah. And also you're setting, you know, it drives me nuts when people move the window around, you know, and, and then I have it set to go back to top left and, you know, top left and, and then they keep moving it back and then they complain about it's moving. Well, why are you moving it in the first place? Why don't you just leave it where it's set to be? Well, you sound like a control freak to me. I am. <laughs> for me, for me, I set it, uh, and we're just joking with each other, by the way. But for me, I set the, the window in the upper left-hand corner, like, like Michael talks, at the very opening of the script. And I do the resize to fit. And then I don't touch it from there on in except when I'm possibly opening a new window, which would be going to preview mode and displaying something they're going to print, then I'll frame that. But other than that, if somebody wants to move it over to the right, that's great. But when it opens up the next day, it's going to be in the upper left-hand corner again. They just, but if they want to move it, that, that's cool with me. I, I'm, I'm good with it. I've actually, I've, if they decide they want to do that, then I just disable that part of it. But I just like to have the window position where I want it to be positioned. And I am a control freak. Well, yeah, well, I, I wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna smash it in or rub it in, but uh, you know, I, <laughs> people sometimes like their windows over somewhere else. But you know, it's, uh, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Well, some people, some people like spreadsheets, and some people like Windows machines. <laughs> Well, there you go. Don't go down that road. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of the same idea as, as this, this client I had who wanted a back button and they didn't want any new windows open. I'm like, really? You want a back button? Okay. Well, the back button's not going to work in all situations. It's going to go back through layouts. And if I have a good navigation system, which I do, you're not going to need that back button. But that's what they wanted. They wanted a back button. So I gave it to them. Um, and you know, and they didn't want any new windows opening. I'm like, Oh my goodness, you don't want any new windows. I mean, that's crazy, but you know, that's what they wanted. So that's what we did. Um, let's go ahead and move down to arrange all windows. It is pretty much worthless. I find this scripts. It, <laughs> we, you can't, you can't go against what I'm saying until I've actually <laughs> said it though. <laughs> so let me say it and then you can say whatever you want. I think it's worth, I agree. There you go. 
Oh, you do? I thought you, no, I thought no, you disagreed. No, I absolutely agree. The only, time, uh, the oh, only okay. time it's useful is if you have Windows off screen and want to bring them back on screen. And the only reason that would be useful is because you opened a window off screen and forgot in the script to close it and you want to bring it back. But you can, again, you can just select that window and then close it. So, yeah, it really is worthless. Yeah, I mean, most solutions are in, in multi-user scenario. So, um, you know, the window is going to be reset anyhow. Um, I don't control people where they want to put the windows. They can put wherever they want. That's up to them. So for me, bringing them all back to one screen, yeah, it doesn't really help me out. But, you know, it's up to you, up to everybody who programs stuff. But I, I think controlling the windows and where it's at, that's, that's up to the user. Let them do what they want to do. Freeze window. Do I use freeze window? Not very often, less so than I uh, than I used to, because FileMaker does a pretty good job of knowing when to freeze and when not to. So you you won't, I wouldn't put a freeze on there just because you think it needs. Wait till the problem occurs and then go. Oh, it's it's refreshing away. I don't like it. Let me put a freeze window here. That's when I'd use it. Otherwise, you're just causing FileMaker to redraw more. You know, extra redraw because it's you know when you freeze, you have to redraw. So I, I typically just leave it up to FileMaker. Right. Okay, close window. Well, what can you say? It's useful. Um, I use it all the time because yeah, I like to open up new sure. windows. I, I, I think it's the greatest thing ever. And being able to allow somebody to work in another window temporarily and then close it. I don't suggest you open up thousands of windows, but if you keep it under control, um, you know, you're going to need a, a, a script step like close window. Right. I almost always open a new window as a card window it just i find it easier and cleaner and um, it avoids the proliferation of windows because you've got to close that window to open another and uh, i like that yeah i find myself using it more and more every day but sometimes you just want to have the same layout two windows so what do you do? You need to have that. Or you want to show them uh, a preview of something. I don't like closing, you know, switching the say, current window into preview mode. I, I do a new window. So, you know, it all depends on how you program. Everybody's going to do it differently. Uh, we talked about move, move resize window, um, about how to put something in the upper left-hand corner. Just put zero and zero as far as the uh, top and left corners. Very simple. That's about the only time I really use it. Uh, you can use it for things like trying to place windows in relative to the current one. And there's tons of stuff on the databasepros.com website that shows how to make a window perfectly centered and use move resize window. But that's all kind of, you know, bells and whistles and stuff I've, I've started to avoid a lot as I've gotten to be a more seasoned developer because, you know, what people want is something that functions well, not something that can, you know, flash in, on the screen and, and play music and stuff. They just want a good working database. So new window. We talked about it, but what can it be used other than just creating a new window? Well, it's critical for preserving context. So here's an example. Let's say that you uh, want to switch layouts to do something and then come back. Well, what's going to happen is you're going to lose, if you do it in the same window, you're going to lose your currently selected field, your currently selected portal row, and your currently selected tab. If you just want to briefly go somewhere, just open a new window, do what you got to do, and close it, and your context will be preserved. Easy as, easy as pie. 
Yeah, it's actually, that's a very good point, but it's also incredibly useful because let's say you're working in a table occurrence and you've got a set of records and you now want to go to a different layout based on that same table occurrence, but you don't want to have to go and find the records you already found. As long as the context, the layout is based on the same TO, you can open that new window, switch to the different layout, and you've still got the same found set as you had in the original layer. And that's incredibly useful. Yeah, that that's a whole podcast in itself right there. I use it to to save found sets for sure. It's a great little technique. And if you don't know about it, um, again, I wrote about it inside the Ultimate Find. It's really helpful to restore the found set. So here's one of my pet peeves and a solution to my pet peeve. If you're opening a new window as part of a looping script, it will flash every time. And when you've got a complex script that's opening lots and lots of windows and setting records, etc., that flashing will drive you nuts. But if you open the window or set the window to a size of 10 by 10 and position it at minus 500 left and top, it will open off screen and the flashing will not exist. You'll see the cursor moving but you won't see the window flash. So I use that all the time and it's incredibly useful. So let's talk about where the flashing comes from. The flashing comes from the fact that the window in the background, when the title bar comes forward and backward, right? That's when the flashing occurs. Because if you look at it, if you manually take two windows in any program, at least on the Macintosh, I don't know about Windows so much because I don't program much, but you'll see that the the title bar that where the menus and are the the buttons would be and stuff at the top typically, and where it says what kind of document it is, when that goes behind something, it dims. And so by putting your document off screen, it's not necessarily going to stop that flashing. Um, and I've found that that. FileMaker has worked really well on the flashing. It's not so much of an issue anymore, uh, too much. It still does flash a little bit, but it's not too bad. Um, just a little flash here and there. But what does help is if the toolbar is hidden, which I do anyhow because it you know saves on screen real estate. But if that toolbar is hidden, then you only have a tiny little title bar to flash, and it doesn't do too much. But you know sometimes in order to do something to preserve context or whatever you're doing, you you know send it off screen and and uh you know and, and do what you got to do and then close the window and then you know it, it can help reduce things uh flashing um maybe not as much as it did in older versions but it, it does it does help to know these little tricks right refresh window i use it on occasion to refresh a portal or preview mode right you've got the other ones there's refresh refresh uh was a refresh portal um so there's a bunch of different ones. And, you know, if you don't need to refresh the whole screen, just a portal, try using refresh portal instead. I think there's refresh object too, but your refresh window is going to do everything on the screen. So be careful about uh, using that unless you want everything on the screen to refresh. Scroll window. I thought and thought, and yeah, people know how to scroll. I don't see the point. <laughs> if you're designing a layout that's a form layout and there's a scroll bar vertically or horizontally, then you've done something wrong and you shouldn't have to scroll the, with a script. Now on list view, the only place you should be scrolling is up and down, right? So having the scroll automatically happen, I don't 
get the whole point, what it, what it helps out with. I haven't seen a really important, but you know, maybe there is a situation out there, but I wouldn't worry about uh, fiddling with this grip step too much. It's, it's, it's not going to help. Well, there is, there is an exception. Uh, there is a, a use for it. And that's if you're in a, if you're in a, a list view and you are, and you've got a sub-summary, but the records aren't sorted, and then you want to sort by the sub-summary and move to the very top of the report. That's the only time that I can see you. Or you could just use go to record, and then the actual record that was up there would be selected too, right? True. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes. There's there's lots of ways to do it. I, I get it. There's probably some, but there's no there's no mystery behind the script step, Is I guess is my point. Set window title. Um, I use this all the time because I want to set the window title when people open new windows. Imagine you have a contact manager and you have want to compare two contacts for whatever reason or have them both up at the same time side by side. Uh, maybe you got three or four or five windows open at one time. How can you tell what window you're on? You don't want to see window dash one, window dash two, window dash three. You want to see something that makes sense. And so if you title them, and I like to do this adaptively through script triggers and calculations. I've got a little technique that's on the databasepros.com website. Then the set window title can be very useful for helping you with that window menu to identify what's going on. I know that Michael's probably going to disagree with me on this, but I find the view as script step completely worthless because for this simple reason, a layout should be designed for one view, either form view or list view. And in my opinion, never table view because it doesn't look professional enough. I use it in development, a, a table view, but in a professional solution, it's former list. There's no going back between them two. They're not designed the same way. Why would you want a list of a form view? I don't get it. So for me, it's worthless to toggle between the two. I'll agree with you in 99% of the cases. There are times occasionally when I just want to look at the data from a form view in a table to just see a whole bunch of different stuff but it's very rare and uh, and i agree with you about table views although people who love spreadsheets are more accustomed to working with table views so it's a it's a transitional way that you can sometimes use them but it, not generally yeah i can tell them go back to your spreadsheets yeah <laughs> no you don't want everyone to tell anybody that okay so we have show hide menu bar text ruler and toolbars all show hides okay in my opinion these always should be off set off at the open script and remember the toolbars are the toolbars on the desktop menu bar is something on the filemaker go and the text rulers on i don't believe it's on filemaker go but it's on on uh on uh desktop and you should just turn them off i just do them on an open script yep and the reason is they just take too much screen real estate. If you're programming, you should be able to program all the features in the status toolbar or the menu bar, all that stuff. There shouldn't, why, why waste all that screen real estate? So now set allowed orientations. I left it in here because I want to talk to you about the removal of it. It allowed you on FileMaker Go to say, this is the orientation that, that people had access to. So they couldn't flip their, uh, their, you know, their device uh, into landscape or portrait mode. And, you know, some people didn't want that, um, but I had to be removed due to Apple guideline infringements. So that's why it's gone. 
there's really no alternative. There's not much you can do. So there you go. Set zoom level. Not very complex, but very important if you're making an iOS solution that you want to have in the marketplace. That's the FileMaker marketplace because they don't want you to be able to double click and zoom in, which is what will happen if you don't turn zooming off. So I like to set it to 100 and turn it off so people can't double click. That's what they want. If, they, if you submit it, they'll say, sorry, you're able to double click. You need to resubmit once you fix it. Simple as that. Right. Now, now I use it. Actually, I use set zoom level quite a lot. And where I use it is reports that I that when you design them, you don't need to use very large font sizes because they're, when you print it, it looks perfectly fine in a small font size. And that can be as small as seven or eight points as opposed to 12 when you're actually looking at the layout. Now, in a, when you're looking at a report on screen, if you're, you, you know, those font sizes can really be too hard to read. So I will open the report at 150% and then allow the user to go back to 100%, zoom in, zoom out, as they as they need and then when it's closed it goes back everything's set back to zero so that's where i use the zoom level yeah i never block it except on ios but i guess the reason i'm uh, i'm uh, avoiding it is because you know and try not to use it because there have been bugs in the past with the accuracy of it and and you know just you know make your your screen real estate bigger you know let's talk to the client and decide what the best font size is you know that's kind of stuff but you know i i get your point and uh you know you've got to think about these things is what it comes down to right you know think about what you're doing what's the advantages and what's the disadvantages and compare them and then decide how to go forward let's talk about the file section we have quite a bit of stuff in here that, in my opinion completely useless and sometimes can be uh, damaging. So you've got close file, new file, recover file, set multi-user, convert file. I'll make an exception for set multi-user. I can see how you can use that in a vertical market application when you want to script, changing it from single user to multi-user when they upgrade the license, I get that. But um, in closed file, of course, you need to use that. But new file? Why would you want to create a new file with the script? It, you can't do anything. You, it's not like you can create all the fields with the script, too. It just doesn't make sense. Or, or convert file. I mean, it's just a drag and drop in the operating system. It's, it's crazy stuff. I, I just You don't have to spend any time on working. I think it, I, I, I hesitate to say this, but I think it's more of a bullet point. We've got 179 script steps. If they didn't have convert file and new file in there, then they would have only 177, you know, so... Damn. Just my opinion. So let's talk briefly about recover. And you use the recover command when FileMaker or that particular, generally FileMaker itself crashes and the file that you were working on is now damaged and you run the recover file to try and repair that damage. You should never, ever, ever use a, a file that's closed. You should... That's, potentially damaged go to a backup if you have to do some work over again do it but don't continue using a damaged file it's just too dangerous yeah so during development i think you'll agree with me this if the file happens to crash and my computer doesn't crash very often but if my computer crashes or filemaker unexpectedly quits i revert to a backup because 
even if the file opens up, you don't know what kind of problems could be creeping in the background that will rear their ugly heads, you know, uh, a month down the line or two years down the line and destroy the whole file. Literally. That's exactly right. Now, I this is where I mentioned earlier, I use a non-timer script that saves a copy every 20 minutes to my Dropbox folder. And if I'll make a crashes, I dump the damaged file and redo anything that I've lost since I last did the backup. And that way, I always know I've got an absolutely pristine file that I can always go back to. Now, that doesn't guarantee that it's not going to damage, but we're eliminating the most common scenario, which is that's when files become damaged, when they unexpectedly quit. It rarely happens in other situations. So the, really the same is true when you're on a server. If you're certain, not if a, if you crash as a guest, no problem. But if the server actually crashes, revert to a backup. What you use recover for is to get that file open, if it won't open, the damaged one, to import the data, the new data into the backup. You never continue working with that, that, uh, that file that could possibly be corrupt. So the key here is make your backups. Now, let me explain to our listeners who don't know this, that if you have a file that crashes, it's damaged. And the recovery process may well fix the damage. But every time you have a crash and recover that damaged file, you are moving closer to a point where FileMaker says, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. I'm quitting. I'm not going to let you use this file ever again. And if you ever get to that stage, you are completely up shit creek without a paddle. Yep. Do we have to beep that out? <laughs> probably not. Okay. Yeah, I think all of our, all of our uh, listeners are probably over 18, so we're probably okay with that. Okay, so recover is not maybe what you thought it was. Certainly if... If it's, if you know, you shouldn't use it as a script step because why are you scripting to give access to a user to that feature? You don't ever want to give a user access. That's why we discussed it and talked about it and want to make sure that you understand when recovery should be used, not just with a script step, but in general, because it's one of those things that people just misunderstand all the time. Yeah. They think because the file opens up, it's okay, but it isn't. Yeah, what FileMaker does, the recovery feature it does, it tries to delete any objects it doesn't understand. Could be a layout, could be a field, could be a table. And just to get that file open, it may not even be anything visible that you see. And so it's just doing its best to get that file open so you can get the data out and into a backup. That's all it's there for. So don't misunderstand what it's used for. Correct. Okay, so... I hope uh, Clarice doesn't get mad at me, but on this next section, I think uh, you might want to disavow any knowledge uh, of what I'm going to say here, Michael, because I think these new data file steps were a waste of development resources. Well, I won't, dis I won't disavow what you've just said, John, because you and I, for once, are in complete and utter agreement on it. Well, we agree more than we say. You're just doing that for, for uh, just to be dramatic. <laughs> yeah, true. But, uh, but there's closed, so they added these, these new script steps. I forget how many there are, but there's closed data file, create data file, delete file, get data file position, get file exists, open data file, read from data file, set data file position, write to data file. The whole idea is that you can create a file, 
on your computer, on the local hard drive or wherever it is, because you can do all kinds of things with it, mess around with it or get an existing file there and mess around with it or whatever. But it's so complicated. And you know what most developers want to do? They want to they want to move a file and they want to make a folder. That's about it. Those are the two main things that people want to do. And they should have added those two script steps. Create folder and move file. That's it. That's really what people want. They don't, I, you know, if you if if you want to put, I'm not even sure what you want to put in a default. Only thing I could come up with when this feature came out was you might want to put some headers on an Excel uh, spreadsheet or something like that, or or on a on a text document. Put some headers that weren't there, you know, at the very top row. And and but you know what was that? That was. Do I need all this stuff? No, I don't need that stuff for that. I really just want something very simple, straightforward. And if I want to go that complex, guess what? I'm going to go get the Troy file plugin. It'll let me do all that stuff. Most situations, I want something simple. And I think they they really took. Uh, and and took a couple of developers' desires and went crazy with it. And I think they they wasted some development time. They could have done some better stuff. I think. Yeah, but unfortunately, that's also the way of work, the way of the world. Okay, print and print setup, very useful. Very. What can we say about them? Print setup. You restore your your settings. Print. You restore your settings. Just get familiar with what settings they can and cannot restore. We're not really going to go into those right now. So, but anyhow, you get the idea. They're they're incredibly useful. Anytime you go to a layout that you want to display on screen, you also have to use print setup, even if you're just previewing. Set multi-user. Yeah, most of the time it's not useful unless you have a vertical market solution. You want to switch it to multi-user to allow them to access it that way. Still, I don't know, but anyhow. Uh, set user system formats. Usually on opening a file, basically what it does is it sets your system formats to either, and I forget all the choices, but because I said it once and I copy and paste it from script to script, but the idea here is that you want to be able to set it to use the local settings usually. So that if you've got a date field in the United States, it's MMDDYY. When you go over to England, you want to display in the DDMMYYY format for them. And that's what you'd use it for so that it, it changes when it gets into, it looks at the system software and figures that out. Well, I've been trying to get America to adopt the English way of mastering the dates for years, but nobody's listening to me. Well, you know why we, we don't is because we don't listen to anything you dad since the Boston tea party. So, um, okay. Accounts, the account section. Um, I don't use it that often mainly because it's a lot of scripting work to allow somebody to control. I, I guess it started, the, the idea behind this is to basically give non-admin people control over security to add accounts and things like that. But it's, it's really, um, I think, it, it's kind of like you're one step removed from that process with the script steps. And I prefer what they've done now, which is giving this new access to users so that they can change certain things about security, but not everything, which is exactly what we want. You give the person a five-minute demonstration on how it works, give them the right privileges so they don't have access to everything, just the things that they want to do, which is create accounts and delete accounts. They want to manage the accounts, and that's what it does. So really, um, I think you're going to find very little use for any of these except for the re-login, which is really handy for testing. Yeah, it's absolutely essential. and. Uh, 
in the relogin script that I'm when I'm using it, and really I'm the only one that's ever using it. So the username and the password for each of the different privileges set, and it's based on a modifier key. So if you hold the shift key down, it's it's four, and if you hold sorry control key down, it's four. The shift key is one. Control plus shift is five, etc. Yeah, and and imagine without this feature, you'd have to close the file, open it up again, go through the open script, and then get back to where you were, which layout you're on, because you're not going to be on the same layout, and then continue testing with the new credentials. Whereas this thing... Yeah, and that's really... the Sorry, John, but that's really where the relogging is very useful, because it will leave you in exactly the same layout you were when you re-logged in. So it's really useful to test stuff. Okay, the spelling section. Eh. Why script it? Just leave the options available under the menus. That's my thoughts on it. Open menu items. Again, bullet points for the box. We have 179 script steps. You know, these are these are not useful script steps. You know, you don't need to script these things. If they don't know how to do manage database on their own, why would you give it a scripts? You know, it just doesn't make sense. So all this stuff in here, edit, save, finds, file options, find, replace, help, blah, blah, blah. Everything in the open menu item section, pretty much worthless. You, you can skip that and cross off, what, about a dozen script steps that you don't have to learn about? Right. Okay, the last section, the miscellaneous section, the stuff... The, the ugly stepchild section, right? The stuff that uh, didn't have anywhere else to go. And they keep stuffing things in here, but you'll find out there's some cool stuff in here. Um, allow formatting bar, okay? I always disable it on open because it's a developer feature, in my opinion. I don't really want it on. So simple enough, just take that formatting bar. You'll see it under, I believe, under the view menu in FileMaker where you can toggle it on and off if you're not sure what it does, actually. But it's basically those giving you access to all that formatting that you would get under the menus anyhow, but in a bar. So people shouldn't be changing the text in browse mode, you know, the font characteristics. It, it, it messes everything up. If you go and change the font characteristics or even paste in from somewhere else and has those font characteristics, it messes up every other layout. It then at that point, ignores what you set up in layout mode. So if you've got labels, you might have this really big red text on there on one record because somebody pasted in the text or they changed it. So I don't give people access to that. And it's kind of an interesting reason why people have access to formatting text in browse mode because FileMaker was very against it because it causes all these problems. And I should say Claris was, because I don't know how they feel about it now, but I was told when I worked in tech support that there was a very big client who wanted it, a very, very big client, and that's why it's in there and the only reason it's in there. I think, you know, people uh, grasp the concept now, but still, uh, you know, there's really not that many situations where I can think of, except maybe on a some kind of global field interface thing where I'm doing some where I might want to change the font characteristics, maybe in some kind of, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to do a, a merge letter in browse mode with, you know, all kinds of things. And they might want some some formatting of the text there. But that's about the only situation I could see where you'd actually want that. And so that's why I always turn it off. 
Now, here's an interesting thing. If you do happen to copy data from another solution and you paste it into FileMaker, file, FileMaker field, it's going to come in as the way it was formatted in the other document. But if you immediately after pasting it, you do Command-Z on a Mac or Control-Z on a Win on a PC, it will remove that formatting and leave it the way it should be in that field. And the second Control-Z would actually take it out of there. Yes, that is correct. And you can also do a Control-Shift-V or a Command-Shift-V. Yes, I think there was an right. option command. I forget. And actually, you know what? They yeah. changed it to option command shift on the Macintosh. And that pastes without style. There's actually even a menu item up there if you want. And also, you you can always put a calculation on the uh, on the field where you might know it's going to happen um, to remove the field format. Um, forget the function. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm trying to remember, too. I was just going to say the same thing. I think it's called field... Or it might be just format, format remove, it's but format you'll see remove. it in there. That's it's, it, John. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, format remove, and it just simply removes on exit. You put it as an auto enter calculation, and you uncheck that little option uh, that's the below there so that it auto enters every time. And it simply auto enters the same thing, but with that format remove, you know, step around it. And so if people are often, you know, getting stuff from the web browser and copying and pasting or dragging it in there and they're getting all kinds of funky text in there just put these calculations on those fields like the first name last name address and phone number those are the things that they're usually doing that and then it'll just you won't have to explain anything about how to paste or how to undo it just will do it for you uh av player set option set playback state all the stuff for ios i'm not sure why you don't have it for the desktop i'm not in development i should ask them that question but yeah, if you're doing iOS, um, that's what they're for. They're allow, they allow you to do a lot of cool things. I've done some stuff with, with FileMaker Go and using these features for playing content in container fields, and it really works really well. I wish they had them inside of the desktop. I don't know why they don't, but anyhow. Uh, comment. What can you say about comment? Use it. Very useful, especially if you've got you know, so you know that somebody else is going to come along at some point and take over where you've started and you really need to document. Or if you're getting old like you and I, we forget. I'm glad you included yourself in that, John. Well, I'm not quite as old as you, but I'm getting there. I'm catching up. I'm, I, I know what it feels like to be you now. Ah, thank you. <laughs> I've got a, like a whisper of what it's like. But no, yeah, I mean, you know, comment because you might look at something six months down the line and no matter how good your mind is, you know, uh, having a comment in there and, and don't over comment. If you put too many comments in there, they can't read them. Just put comments where they make sense and where they really help you to remember stuff. And you get better as you get more seasoned as a developer, where to put comments and where not. Dial phone uh, only works on Windows. For some reason, I don't know why Macintosh doesn't support it, but that's the way it is. So I rarely use it. Yeah, you can use Ring Central. There's a, a plugin called Web's FM2RC dot com is the website and it's a connector that works with ring central so you can use filemaker with that so why can they do it but apple can't do it i just that's the part i don't get so get, who knows anyhow enable touch keyboard for ios does what it says execute sql now this is different than the execute sql function right so remember it's just going to send execute sql commands to another another you know uh, target so Right. My experience with S Execute SQL is it's 
useful on occasion, does allow calculations without having to have a relationship, but it is slow and it's used much too often and as a crutch. I um, worked with somebody who used SQL in every single script that they were doing and they would use it a hundred times one after the other and it was equivalent to going to going downtown which is a five minute drive but driving a 200 miles before you get there and doing it a thousand times a day yeah i mean uh, i i haven't used it at all honestly but i mean you know it's really for talking to external sources and and not designed to make filemaker front end so uh you know filemaker can put a little bit of sql you know, search data in into FileMaker and pull it in and do stuff with it. Um, but just like the execute SQL function, it has a time and a place. And, and you know, uh, just learn FileMaker before you start using something as a crutch. I think is, I, I agree with you. And, and uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't use it. It's got a time and place. But I've been doing this for 30 years, and I don't think I've touched that script step at all. But I haven't worked with a lot of SQL. So in fact, I the one time I worked with uh, a SQL system, was uh, I used, um, I'm trying to remember, this is like 10 years ago, uh, was when I used that, uh, that where you put the stuff on the relationship graph. Um, I forget what it's called, but you make a connection to it and, and you can actually put the, the tables from the SQL inside the relationship and stuff. The ESS, external data source. Yes, thank you. <laughs> See, uh, I'm getting older faster as longer I talk to you. As long as it's not because you are talking to me. <laughs> so anyhow it does what it says and if you need it you need it but don't abuse it use filemaker features when possible uh, exit application extremely useful for ios right yep if you've hidden the menu bar and you've hidden the toolbar and you've hidden everything you need to have a way for them to get out of it or else they're stuck there right so make sure you use that one right flush cache to disk what the way what this does is it takes the cache that's in FileMaker and flushes it to the hard drive. It makes it write it to the hard drive. But FileMaker already does this every five seconds at most. So doing it manually or with a script and forcing it, not really that useful. Uh, I don't know any situation where I've needed it ever. And so you can pretty much skip the script stuff you won't. Yeah, I, what I would like to recommend is that you send cash to Michael. Right. <laughs> I can see where this podcast is getting pretty long. We, we need to take a break, right? We're almost done. <laughs> yeah, we're almost done. So get directory. Awesome feature. Don't use it that often, but if you need to get a directory on your hard drive so you can put something in that directory, this is what you use. It's very simple to use, very straightforward. I was so happy when it came through. Um, I had to, I don't have to keep sticking everything on the desktop because users are like, well, why do you always put it on the desktop? Well, if you, I let you choose a folder, you're probably going to forget where, what folder you chose and stuff like that. So even then, I'm still a little hesitant about using get directory. But, but you know, sometimes people insist on it and, and if they want to, you know, they want to cause their own problems by forgetting where they put stuff. If you put it on the desktop, they're going to find it because I'm going to tell them it's on the desktop. But, you know, that's kind of my feelings on it. You know, as people do lose stuff too often and I'm like, well, sorry, you know, but get directory can be very helpful. Install menu set. There are two ways to install a menu set. One is through scripting and one is through the defaults in layout setup in layout mode. Don't ever, 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 ever use 
the layout version. So let me paint you a scenario. Imagine that you've gone through and you want to have these menu sets, these custom menus placed on specific layouts. If you do that and set it up through the layout setup so that you don't have to script it, what's going to happen is while you're developing or once you've shipped it and then have to redevelop because there's always stuff they want to add, every time you go from that layout to another layout and then back again, that custom menu gets installed. You have no choice. You have to keep going up to the menus and turning off or turning back on the standard menus. It's a really a pain when you're developing. Whereas with the scripting version of it, I typically set up one custom menu that works adaptively across all of my layouts. It's very, fairly easy to do. And I set it on open to set up whether it's standard menus for the developer or for everybody else, that custom menu set. And that's the way to do it. End of story. Don't do it any other way. It, you'll, you'll regret it. Install plugin file. I don't use it. I try to avoid plugins, but if you need it, a basic idea is you store your plugin in a container field and then you can install it from there. Open URL, handy, but super, super easy. I mean, there's not much to do. I mean, you know, you basically put in URL and it'll open up a web page in your default web browser. Awesome. I use it all the time. Perform Apple Script, platform specific, specifically Macintosh. So I typically avoid that because you never know when something's going to go cross platform and then this is not going to work. So it's kind of one of those dying scripting languages um, that you really probably shouldn't try. You should try to avoid it when all possible. Right. And it does require expertise in Apple script and I'm not sure how useful that is. So I completely ignore it. I'd prefer to use a plugin to get, cause that's often what people are using Apple script for. They want to modify somehow they want to modify the, the, you know, the operating system or do something. And often you can do that um, in, in other ways, uh, you know, such as using a plugin and the plugin is going to be cross platform. You won't have to worry about issues occurring. So that's what I usually do. Uh, we talked a little bit about refresh object and portal. For some reason, they're, they're not up with refresh window. They're down here in the miscellaneous section, but they're a little bit more uh, specific uh, on what they do instead of refreshing the whole window. Send DDE execute. My question is, does anybody use DDE anymore? Well, I don't even know. I don't even know what it does. So no. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember back in FileMaker 4.0 days, we were all into it and we we're doing all kinds of things with it. Um, and I, you don't need it anymore. So you don't need to worry about this one. And unless there's some specific situation, then you can figure it out. Send event. I use it occasionally. I got an example on the databasepros.com and it's cross-platform. Don't, don't mistake it with send Apple event. It's send event. And what it allows you to do, um, and it does use Apple script on the Macintosh, but it has the counterparts on Windows. So you can go ahead and tell it to export, uh, uh, tell it to go ahead and open a document up and print it without actually having the person go to the, the, the external application, choose file print. So you can do some cool things with it. And I've got some example files to show how to do that on the databasepros.com website. Clean and simple. So send mail. Do you, do you use that often, Michael? Or I do. I use it a lot. And um, generally speaking, when I'm developing and we're testing, I leave the dialogue on so that it goes into the outbox and then the user has to physically press the send button. But once, we're, once everything is 100% tested and you can rely on it, without having to look at it before you send it, then I turn the dialogue off 
And of course, you can send it directly with the SMTP server by storing those um, credentials. But if you do that and you're not keeping a record of the records, emails that were sent, you have no track, no way of tracing. Whereas if it goes out through the mail program, you can always go and look at what was sent when. Yeah, I use the the mail client, meaning Outlook on Windows or Apple Mail on the Macintosh, ex- almost exclusively because for this reason. First of all, you have a history inside that application of what went on. And second of all, because you have to copy all your SMTP settings from that mail client into FileMaker and store them there. And if they change, you have to remember to change it there. And it just becomes difficult to track and, and store and things like that. And people then call you for support and say, well, my email's not set anymore. Well, did you change your your password or your, your username or your any of your settings or did, you know, and, and it just becomes, you know, we know they're going to go ahead and fix the email program because they're going to notice it right away. So that's, I exclusively work with that if, in, unless I, you know, there's no chance. Occasionally I use uh, a, a plugin for sending mail, but that was used to be only because I needed multiple attachments. Only reason I've used a plugin these days would be to send HTML mail. That'd be the main reason because you still can't do that with send mail, but, uh, or actually can they, I think they mentioned something about that, but I don't know how to do it. So um, anyhow, you can research that and look at that. I think they support some type of version of HTML email with send mail, but I'm, I'm not really privy to it. Most people just want to send a straight standard little simple text mail with, with no HTML at all. Anyhow. So set web viewer handy. If you're using a web viewer, you can refresh it, you can reset it, you know, all kinds of options on there. Not much to be said about it. Knowing it's there. That's the important thing. That's kind of what we're trying to do here is, is, tell you, hey, it's there. Realize this controls some of the settings of a web viewer. A web viewer is set up in layout mode. A script controls things that are in, in layout mode or that show up in browse mode from layout mode. So you need to know that, you know, that these things are there. Sometimes there's so many script steps you didn't even know is there. So now knowing it's there, set web viewer. Oh, it can do a couple of things that might help me with my web viewer that I've been having problems with. I had no idea it was there. Show custom dialogue. Do you use that pretty often? I do. And the two things about that is the default button, which is what happens when you press the enter key, should always be the safe solution. So I always make the user press the button to do the thing that they're thinking of. In other words, delete the record. They have to press the delete button instead of hitting the enter key because that makes them think what they're doing before they do it. And if they just happen to hit the enter key, no harm, no foul. Yeah, and generally that's a pretty good idea. Although sometimes when people get used to a system, they know they want to delete it and they don't want, they want it to be the default so it's easier. So I can see both sides of the story. All depends on what you think should be done there. But I've kind of gone away. I used to do it that way all the time. I've gone towards making what they most commonly want to be doing as the default. Yeah, it makes sense. It's, you know, it's, it's just food for thought. Interesting thing about the custom dialogue is it's very easy to use. But what are your alternatives? You have card window which is like a custom dialogue in some ways on steroids. You can do anything you want and do kind of the same. You can have graphics in there and portals, stuff you can't do with a custom dialogue. Well, the, the, the key thing there is that if you're using card windows, you're not limited to the three buttons that the custom dialogue option gives you. Right. And that's the only reason. But if you don't need more than three buttons, it's so much easier to program a custom dialogue. Absolutely. 
So you got to think about what you're trying to do. And if you really need something more sophisticated, like a picker, you know, where you want to have a portal in there and you, instead of using a pop-up menu, you want to show all the choices and have them scroll or filter it with a, you know, a script or something, and then click on the one they want. Card windows perfect. You can't do that with a custom dialogue, but associate those two features together because they're often overlapping. And our last topic, John, our last topic in this extended podcast is speak. Er, er, right? Is that what I was supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but you know, you can have fun with it, but it can be annoying. I, I had a customer and they had a really good sense of humor and I put a, they were, kept doing the wrong thing and, and I put a speak message saying, are you an idiot? You don't want to do that. <laughs> and they, they found it hysterical for the first two times. And then after that, I had to remove it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch out who you do that with, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had a client. This was back in the FileMaker 3.0 days. They kept clicking the wrong buttons. So we tried a variety of things because they kept they kept blaming problems on us. And we said, well, it's we've tested. It works fine. And we watched the person and watched over their over their shoulder and saw what they were doing like oh they're not even looking at this so we tried we tried saying you got to you got to read the messages on the custom dialog okay that didn't work okay now we're going to randomly switch the buttons and you know do a random number and decide which dialog they're they're really the same dialog but the buttons are switched maybe that'll help them to to start reading it no uh, we, you know, then we resorted to speak and we're like, we're going to speak the whole, you know, the whole thing out of here. And that still didn't solve the problem. There was nothing we could do. Um, even as annoying as speak is it, we couldn't get them to stop uh, hitting the wrong buttons or even read the dialogues. Um, and, uh, you know, that was so long ago. I forget what actually, I think we just had to leave them with like, you got to read the dialogues. If you don't, you're going to mess up your system. There's nothing we can do about it. Unfortunately, when you have users who are idiots, there's nothing you can do to prevent that idiocy. Yeah. And I, and I tried, try to use a nicer word than that in saying that, you know, they've got a job to do. They, they, they know they got to enter the data into this database, but they're busy and they just want to get home to their kids. And, you know, you, you've got to try to design a system that's, you know, idiot proofed. And that's where the word comes from. But, you know, try to try to treat your clients uh, with as much respect as you can, because, you know, they're just they're You know, I remember days uh, back at Claris where they took we had a, a, a solution, a customer uh, service solution, where he entered everybody's information. It was done in FileMaker. And they brought along this really terrible looking, uh, you know, solution done in PeopleSoft, I think. And nobody liked it. They hated it and stuff like that. It's because it wasn't designed well. And, you know, I think that's what it comes down to is, is you know, take your opportunity for somebody messing up to design something better. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the last script step. We're done. Hopefully what this has done for you is giving you an idea which script steps are really important, which are evil, and which ones don't take that much time to learn how to use. And so take this as an overview of the script steps, something to help drive your whole experience, your development experience, your development career in FileMaker, so that you can go ahead and make the best use of your time because it's all about time, right? You can't spend all your time learning send event when it's not going to be really that useful to you. Don't spend your time on it. And hopefully some of the examples we gave gave you some ideas and we referred you to some websites, you know, our websites to go check them out and you'll find out cool examples of how you can use some of the stuff. Uh, look into set field, set variable. Those are very important script steps to learn. 
Any final thoughts, Michael? Um, the only thing I will like to close with is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Those are those are sage words. Well, it's been great talking about script steps, one of my favorite sections. And please leave comments if you've found something we said to be the opposite of what you do or we didn't mention something about we'd love to hear about it tell us about what you want to hear in the next podcast anything you want just leave us a comment send us an email whatever you want to do my name is john mark osborne and i'm michael richard and just as a finishing thing you may not agree with the things that john and i say these are our opinions they're not cast in stone they're not 100 percent right these are just our opinions so if we say something that you blatantly disagree with just take it with a grain of salt and it's our opinion and uh, everybody's entitled to it. But I'm Michael Rashad. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Fireside Filemaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad. We'd love to hear what you think. So please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.